I'm Effie Parks. Welcome to Once Upon a Jane, the podcast. This is a place I created for us to connect and share the stories of our not-so-typical lives. Raising kids who are born with rare genetic syndromes and other types of disabilities can feel pretty isolating. What I know for sure is that when we can hear the triumphs and challenges from others who get it, we can find a lot more laughter, a lot more hope, and feel a lot less alone. I believe there are some magical healing powers that can happen for all of us through sharing our stories, and I'll take all the help I can get. Once Upon a Gene is proud to be part of Bloodstream Media. Living in a family affected by rare and chronic illness can be isolating, and sometimes the best medicine is connecting to the voices of people who share your experience. This is why Bloodstream Media produces podcasts, blogs, and other forms of content for patients, families, and clinicians impacted by rare and chronic diseases. Visit bloodstreammedia.com to learn more. Hi, friends. Thank you so much for being here. I'm Effie Parks, and I'm your host. Thank you so much for connecting, listening, sharing, and writing reviews for this show. It's such a special community and I'm so honored every week that I get to publish this out into the world. We also dropped a new episode of Once Upon a Gene TV over on the Disorder channel. You can get that on a Roku or an Amazon Fire for free. Just download it. There's over 100 rare disease films and shows on there, so please go check it out. Daniel DeFabio and Bo Bigelow are so rad, and so is every other piece of content on that platform. On the newest episode, we have scientist extraordinaire, the beautiful and brilliant Catherine Inston, and she's telling us all about the new app that she developed called Variant. Uh, so head over her to her website, variantapp.com, and get your rare disease on her waiting list in a very short compact way uh, of explaining it before you see the episode. The app is, I mean, it's going to be so cool. It's good. It already is so cool. Basically, it's a place where everyone can can share real world stuff about their rare disease, what meds they're on, what symptoms they're tracking, all things like that. There's going to be information on what clinical trials that you could join or be eligible for. It's HIPAA compliant. It's amazing. And it's going to grow into such a valuable resource for our community. So Head over to the Disorder channel, watch the episode, and check it out. On the show today, I'm happy to welcome a very cool mom who's creating a series of books and other resources for parents who are raising kids with disabilities. She has an active Facebook community called You Will Feel Better. So head over there and join the chat. We talk a lot today about her son's rad service dog, which, like me, I know a lot of you are considering. So... Let's get into it. Please welcome my guest, Kelly Coleman. Hello, Kelly. Welcome to the show and the chirping birds in the background. Thank you for having me and for inviting the birds. Yes, it's my pleasure. I'm I'm really excited to talk to you. We've been in connected for quite a while now online, and I love following you, and you have a really special community that you've built on Facebook, I know especially. So please tell us who you are, Kelly Coleman, writer of all things. Why, thank you. That's quite an introduction. I am a mom of two amazing kiddos, one of whom has multiple disabilities, including a yet undiagnosed genetic disorder. So he has needs that cross over from medical, behavioral, cognitive, developmental, you name it. Um, so much of my time is focused around those little guys and my husband and keeping all of that going. 
And we also have an amazing service dog to throw into the mix. And when I'm not chasing around after them, I am a writer and my background has always been in fiction. And I am presently writing my first nonfiction book, which I'm incredibly excited about, which will serve this whole community of your listeners and beyond of those of us who are making it up as we go, figuring out life of disability parenting. So amazing. Thank you for writing our book. I know that it's not out yet, but can you give us kind of a sneak peek into the content? My pleasure. So we are working working on and gearing towards when it will be released. And I'm as recording this, we're negotiating my book deal. So it will be a thing. And the book is called You Will Feel Better. And it's honest, real life guide to doing life with a kid with a disability. And the biggest thing about it is I wanted an actionable guide. I feel like nobody needs to read my memoir. What they need to read is the guide to how to do this and how to break these things into steps and questions and templates and all of this stuff so that we have a handbook instead of just Googling and crying, which is what I did at the beginning of my journey a lot and still do sometimes. But my goal is to have this in every doctor's office and every library and every educator has this. So when a family is being handed a diagnosis or even in a case like ours, news of, hey, you've got stuff going on, there's a starting point instead of just go home, Google, good luck. Yeah, I feel like lots of us still Google and cry. Uh, We're all fumbling through this no matter what. So I feel like this book isn't just going to be for the newly diagnosed Because I learn things every single day and with every conversation of new ways to help myself and my son. As do I. And even I just did a great interview with an expert for their chapters on everything from IEPs and finding community to what to how to talk to your specialists. And I did a great interview for the chapter on finances and future planning. And I am just learning so much and really being able to define and hone in on the things that I need to be doing, but also the things that I don't need to be doing. And the biggest thing that I loved coming out of this interview about finances with an expert is just the idea of there is no shame in wherever you are. And I think that applies to financial situation, whether you're terribly in debt, whether you have everything figured out, just being honest about where you are, but also with everything else, with this stepping into this rare disease world, you don't know what you don't know. And realizing and really embracing the fact that you can choose to not feel guilty for not knowing what you didn't know. And did you do your best with the information you had at the time? And I think for most of us, the answer is, yeah, I did a great job with the information that I had at the time. And I just think that's so empowering to really think about what do you have control over and what do you what do you not? Oh, I think that should be a rewind. Rewind that. You don't know what you don't know and there's no shame in it. And did you do your best? Mm-hmm. Yes. And so many of us just don't have these huge chunks of information. Even we just, I just finished an IEP meeting this morning, our second half of our annual IEP. And um, just thinking about the basics of even things like 
Gold's Drive Services, which I didn't learn until many years into our IEP. And I was like, oh my gosh, I need to be focusing on goals, not arguing for services. And once we have the information, and that gets to the title of the book, You Will Feel Better, that's the thing that gets us to the better in so many instances, whether it's realizing and confronting our own ableism, or whether it is knowing what the heck to do in an IEP meeting. That for me has, and I I still struggle with so much of this because it is really hard and our children are amazing, but getting to that point of feeling better about being on this journey and even feeling good about being on this journey is access to information. Yeah. I mean, knowledge is power, right? And feeling like you're not lost in the dark or super ashamed to talk about the resources that you have financially to put a trust in place and things like that. Yeah. Absolutely. And I know on an episode of your podcast recently talking about not feeling shame or fear over being depressed or even in really hard depths of that and owning that and saying like, this is really where I am now. And how do you Find the people that you can talk to about that without feeling like that is going to jeopardize, you know, your your family or your kids or your situation or even just your own mental health, which can be hanging on a thread some days. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You said something a little earlier about figuring out the things that you need to be doing, but also figuring out the things that you don't need to be doing. What are some of the things that you've discovered that you don't need to waste your time on or your bandwidth on or your mental energy on? I think one of the biggest things we don't need to spend our energy on is Google. I think if you are going to be researching something online and on your own, be incredibly focused and see what your resources are and then tell yourself you're going to stop after a certain point. That to me, I feel like is one of the biggest things. And I am a compulsive list maker. And especially when I'm having a hard day or week or more, I sit down and I make a list on literally a piece of paper of what can I control and what can't I control. And today I can't control whether or not my son speaks. Um, He communicates a ton through gestures and vocalizations, but doesn't have conversations and words yet. But can I control that today? Nope, sure can't. I can't control the fact that he has a genetic something, so I can't quote unquote fix him. So can't solve that. And those are things that today are just not within my control. And maybe as in with his syndrome, like will never be within my control. So really zeroing in on what can you control? And also what do you want to be doing? I know there's a bunch of stuff that Regional Center wants me to be doing today for all my social services paperwork. And you know what? That's going to wait until Friday. I can find time to do that on Friday and owning the fact that, nope, don't have time for it until then. I don't feel guilty when they're sending me emails because I say, you know what? I have that scheduled. I love that. I love that. And, you know, that's something that I actually started doing within not even that long ago, like maybe the last year of like, what can I actually take care of right now? What is just Mm -hmm. filling an anxious, like, void in my head and keeping me up? Mm -hmm. And what is actually something I can I can take care of? And it makes a big difference. It makes a huge difference. And I think 
the community that you have built and everything that you have done with it is a great example because in order to make a podcast happen, in order to make your website happen, in order to do all of the things, you have to put the pause button on all of this other stuff. The paperwork will always be there. The emails will always be there. But if there is a thing that you are trying to do, whether it's plan a night away for yourself or whether it is, I just want to bake a really good casserole or whether it is, I want to write a book or start a podcast. You're making a choice to set other things aside. And that is so hard to do. I've found in this rare disease world, everything feels so urgent that has to do with my kid and being able to take a step back and say, if I want to write a book, here's what's going to have to wait until I've scheduled it on Friday. Mm, yes. Oh, my gosh. I actually do want to touch on your son really quick mm -hmm. before I ask you some questions about his amazing service dog. I know that you have him in the Undiagnosed Diseases Network, correct? Correct. Okay. So when did you get connected with them and what's your experience been? We have been connected with the Undiagnosed Diseases Network since... I believe he was about three years old when we can, when we first connected with them through our geneticists and of course, you know, did all the paperwork and everything applying to get in. And the Undiagnosed Diseases Network has been a really great opportunity for us to not only get a ton of genetic testing that I don't know how we would have paid for otherwise. My son's had up through full genome sequencing and within that, even before we reached them, certain genes tested individually and microarray and, you know, partial exome sequencing, full exome sequencing, finally the full genome sequencing. And for us, the UDN has been a great community of people to see, oh, there are still quite a few people out there, whether it's adults or kids like my son who don't have a diagnosis, but it's a great way to feel like there is a possibility of these dots being connected with the doctors, with the other families involved, and with it being such a far-reaching network, I really believe that if we are to get a diagnosis, that the UDN is our path to doing that. And we're not people who stress over whether or not our son has one. I don't know that it would influence his plan of care moving forward, but a diagnosis would certainly allow if our other son chooses to have kids, if he chooses to have genetic testing done for his own awareness, and also to be able to connect with other families who are experiencing a similar reality to what our son ex is experiencing would just be wonderful. Yeah. You know, I really admire the way that you've kind of grappled with it all and the way that you think about it. And it makes me go, of course, she of course, she is writing this book this way, because you've been living with no answers and uncertainty of where things fit the entire time. And you've had to make it work like like most of us. I, I think exactly. I think most of us are making it work every day. And I think pretty much every parent who is parenting a child with a disability, someone has come up to them and said, you should write a book. <laughs> And the reality is, yeah, in all my free time, I can barely put on pants. We should because we have these incredible stories, but the reality is we don't have time. And also most of us are not writers. And I always said, this is a book I will never write because I just have to get my brain out of this world. But then the reality is, this is what I 
urgently need to write because I can't get out of this world. And to open this up, you know, if I if I were a superhero, I'd be the organizer because I organize things, which is the worst superhero ever. <laughs> But it's real good for disability parenting. And to be able to just give that to other parents, I just think is really exciting because I think we can empower the parents, but also I have a great hope that by empowering parents on this journey, that we can chip away at so much of this ableism because, which I absolutely, I I, I still grapple with on whatever level, but realized that from the beginning, that was so much of the black hole that I was in of, oh my goodness, my kid's disabled. This is the worst thing ever. No, it's not the worst thing ever. My kid's amazing. But I didn't know that at the time because I'd never had this exposure. And I'm hoping that I can empower parents to make themselves and their kids and their families and the world around them feel so at ease and comfortable with disability as a naturally occurring thing so that let's empower these kids to be the best version of themselves and not be this round peg that we're trying to shove into a square hole. But what does disability mean for each individual kid? And for my kid, it means something entirely different than many others. And I feel feel fortunate for that. There's a lot of it that I, I would trade and get rid of. I don't I don't know anyone who's ever said that their epilepsy is a gift or years of chronic vomiting all over the place. Certainly would not a gift and things like that that I would change. But his incredible joy and applauding just to wake up in the morning and start the day is really remarkable. Yep. I mean, you're speaking you're speaking my language. And I love that you noticed that about yourself and that you that you're growing from that and you want to teach other people and get the conversation started because it's so important. And I also think that this book isn't just going to be for caregivers and parents to be some sort of like guidebook. I feel like this is like a resource that your medical team is going to be able to learn from as well. And it's going to give them something to actually give you the parent rather than Mm -hmm. go home and love your kid, right? Like it's another way that they can help. It's another way that they can be on your team. Mm -hmm. And I think that's, who wouldn't have wanted that in the beginning? Thank you. And I, I agree. I think the patient experience and talking to doctors as expert interviews this and for the book and talking to disabled parents who are parenting a disabled child. And there's so much for people like me, people like you to learn as parents, but I think for medical professionals and for educators to get a window into, oh, these are all the boulders these parents are pushing uphill. Oh, here are ways I can best support the family and also this individual with a disability. Like, I got this. And I think if we can all do a better job of saying like, I got this, I can support you and we can support each other, makes everything easier. Yeah. And it's really only going to mobilize your friends and family and community and policymakers to continue rights for disabled people and to really implement actual inclusion, equity and accessibility in schools and communities and parks and in our books and in our TV shows. Mm hmm. Most definitely. And I think within that, shining a light on, there are so many ways you can help. And for example, if somebody is passionate about making playgrounds accessible, there are amazing organizations that are making accessible playgrounds. You don't necessarily need to take on 
all of disability advocacy in all of its forms, if playgrounds are your thing and you run with that, you can really make a difference in that. And each of us finding out like, where can I actually enact change? And for me personally, that's writing a book because I'm a book writer. And if someone else that is lobbying in Washington, another person, it's reaching out to disabled communities of very of various cultures, whether it's working with service dogs, whether it's making parks accessible. There's so many different ways. And rather than saying, I'm going to do everything, choose a thing. And I would be thrilled if people in my community were like, you know what? We're going to make a better playground for your kid. That'd be great. Amen. 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 Find your puzzle piece and put it in play. It doesn't yes. have to look like anyone else's piece. And no. one person doing one thing is going to make all of the things happen. Absolutely. Choose your thing and run with it. Totally. Okay. I know that your little disabled dude has a dog. Tell me all about it. I could talk about our dog all day. So our son, Aaron, got matched with his service dog, Hetty, a couple weeks before the world shut down in 2020. And so, of course, we had no idea this was coming in February of 2020 when we did our two weeks of intensive training. And our dog came through an organization called Canine Companions. And I find there are many great service dog organizations out there. We did lots of research. This was the right one for us. They're fully funded by donations. So the dogs are free to the recipients, as is the two-week intensive training, which is a really special and unique thing. And... The intensive training we did left such an impression on us because not only do we have this amazing dog, but we got to meet other families and individuals who are working with dogs for different reasons and different needs. And so we had this dog right from when the quarantine started. So we were going on long walks and doing training sessions as the world was shutting down. And Aaron, our son, is a super social little guy. He is mobile and able to walk, but not entirely safely. And so we're doing a lot of helicoptering and he runs off all over the place. And our dog, Hetty, the dogs serve different functions for different people, as I mentioned. She does so many things for him. He doesn't need a lot of the hard skills like someone without hand use would need to pick things up and, you know, or leap up onto a counter to grab a credit card or things like that. But when he's overwhelmed and can have these huge meltdowns, she has commands for sensory support where she can safely lay across his body if he's on the floor to calm him down. Or even if he's sitting, just put her head or her paws in his lap and those have been really helpful, especially in stressful situations. And we're teaching him when we are walking to hold on to her leash, which is still, you know, two years in, it's still a work in progress, but he does so well with it. And he's a kid who, if it were his choice, would move toward, would run towards uh, moving cars because he loves cars. I would prefer he didn't do that. So he knows when we're out in public, he has a job and he loves having jobs. So his job is to stay with the dog. And my husband or I are trained as handlers. And so we're always holding the leash as well. But he holds onto the leash and he stays with the dog. And when he wants to watch cars, instead of pushing to run out with them, he stands there holding the leash because he knows that the dog is his job. And right now he weighs a little more than half of what I weigh. And so he's getting harder to manage. And 
we are really gearing him towards stay with the dog because when he is heavier than I am, our great hope is that he will be able to manage himself because he knows his job is to stay with the dog instead of to run off. So even just parking somewhere and walking across a parking lot is so much easier and safer with her. Or if we're grocery shopping or at Ikea or on an airplane, he understands his job is to stay with her. So it makes everything easier and safer. And my my personal favorite part of having a service dog, since she comes with us everywhere, and I didn't fully understand this until we brought her home and we're experiencing this, is the social bridge aspect. As I said, our son is super social, but his communication often looks like loud, enthusiastic squealing and flapping and waving that looks like he's trying to levitate. And it's all happy things. But when we're out and people see this kid who looks weird and kids who's making these loud sounds, without a dog, a lot of time we get the look of people with that like, oh, you poor family, you poor thing. Uh, because clearly this must be a terrible thing to have a kid like this. However, when we're with Hetty, people look at us and they see the dog and they smile and they say hi and kids run over and say hi. And we don't get that look of like, oh, you poor thing. We get that look of, dude, you have a dog at the mall. That's awesome. And just that the socialization Aaron gets of people coming over or kids at the park coming over, but also... We are always on display every time we go out. He doesn't look like other people. He doesn't act or sound like other people. So we are just a billboard for disability wherever we go. And that's fine. And he's okay with that. He's so outgoing. But to not have people turning to you and just looking and cringing or giving the oh poor thing look and instead having people smiling and saying hi and telling you your kid like, oh, I love your dog, man is such a different way to experience life. I am so glad that you brought up that reason for having a service dog. And I don't think it's one people would automatically think of, right? The gap that mm-hmm. it bridges between conversation and feeling invited in, being yes. being kind of a social softener and almost mm-hmm. like a almost like a point of respect, right? Like if you see that. Yes, well said. Yeah. Yep. And not just for Aaron, not just a social thing for Aaron, but for you. I mean, you get to be a normal person in a conversation rather than, oh, what's wrong with your son? You know, and like yes. have to do the age old thing like that, <laughs> which yes. we're happy to do when we can do it. But it makes it better for you. So much better. And there's always when you're in an elevator. And by the way, it's delightful that the world is open in a way we can be in elevators with other humans now. It gives people a topic of conversation instead of, oh, what's up with your kid? Which no one's ever been quite that bluntly rude. But rather than just that awkward, like, oh, what's going on here? People can always talk about the dog and it really, the dog comes with us to therapies and he's more motivated to do therapies or swim lessons and swim to the end of the pool when the dog is there. It gives us an, a connection to the world. And I think if everyone with a disability who wanted a service dog had one, it would just change the way that people view disability because it is a privilege to have a dog on an airplane and they see my kid as a kid who has this cool privilege first before they see like, oh, that's too bad. Your kid has a feeding tube. Oh, that's too bad. Your kid can't talk. No, we're good. Good dog. We're fine. 
Yeah. What about you? Like, what about thinking about as a caregiver, I cannot handle one more thing. There's no freaking way that I can be responsible for helping my child be responsible for a dog. What about that aspect of having another family member? How do you how do you manage that? And how do you kind of get over that of overwhelm in adding something? Thank you so much for asking that question. I think that is such a hugely important thing because it is literally adding another family member. And for some people, the answer is, nope, you don't need a dog because you have too much on your plate right now. And that's okay. Or maybe the answer is you don't need a dog right now. I think the biggest thing people can do if they're thinking about a service dog for any organization, um, canine companions, I believe you have to do this even before you can fill out the application, is call and speak with someone there to see if that is the right organization for you, what their dogs can and cannot do. And also, if you have the bandwidth for that, I am very will very happily talk about the fact that we do have a lot of help and you know our caregivers the dog is not their responsibility but we certainly have a lot of help with our kids in the house and everything in order Aaron needs one-to-one care 24 7 so that is a reality and my husband and I had wanted another dog for many years. And so we had had one previously. We knew it would be extra responsibility. We have a very responsible 10-year-old who helps quite a bit with the dog. For me, Aaron is easier to manage in public when I have a dog, largely because he is so mobile and it's a thing for him to do. So while it definitely adds, you know, is more time out of our day for the walking and the feeding and the occasional trips to the vet for the checkups. For us, it makes managing Aaron easier, which also allows me to teach him in situations and participate with him instead of just saying, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. So for me, the trade-off of the extra time spent is so wholly worth it without question. And for some people, it's not worth it. It is work. It is a dog and dogs have needs, but we went into it with so much support from the organization and especially with them being very honest of here's the time and energy commitment. And I think everyone needs to be really honest with themselves if they have that kind of time and energy. Oh my gosh. I think this is just such valuable information and I don't get to hear about service dogs very often. Most of the families I talk to are really early on in their journeys and that's like on the back burner or the last thing on their mind. But I love knowing all of the unexpected ways that it really contributes and supports your entire family. It's amazing. It really has been terrific and I'm sure all of your listeners can relate to those nights as a parent when you're just doing the paperwork or exhausted or whatever it is and having this incredibly well-behaved dog, you know, when the boys are asleep, just come over and lay down with you when you're just in a pile on the floor. It's great. I mean, I often joke that I think that she thinks that I am her charge at least as much as my son is because she definitely, I feel like, you know, that's, that's our secret is that she's supporting us as parents and humans as much as she's supporting our son. Mm. Yes. Yes. The magic of an animal, really. They're the best. They really are. Oh my gosh. Kelly, I could talk to you about a million things. You're so you're so multi-talented. Thank you. Ditto. I can't wait for your contribution in the form of this book. 
I'm going to be like one of the first people to get it. So I'm excited for you. I can't wait for you to share it. Tell everybody where they can keep up with you now and how they can join your join your little community and make sure to be on your radar. Absolutely. So my website is kellycoleman.com and that's Kelly is K-E-L-L-E-Y Coleman. And my Instagram is hello Kelly Coleman. Again, E-Y and Kelly. And would love to connect with people. I am always looking for parents to share their stories of particularly right now and into the future, I'm asking for parents if they're interested in contributing to this book or others that to be written in the future of writing a letter to themselves on a day that they're the day that their child got diagnosed and what would you say to yourself and compiling so many remarkable letters for that because I think as you know the power of sharing our stories which is so much of your mission is not to be undervalued and to really look back on our own stories and even people who are new to their diagnosis I think can embrace that this is their story and there is value to be found even within the really challenging ones. Awesome okay well Kelly it's just been so fun talking to you. I'm really excited to share our conversation and I'm really glad to be connected with you. So thanks for taking the time out of your day and not pushing me aside from the paperwork and being my guest. Well, thank you for all that you do. Truly, as you know, you reach so many people and you make a big difference. Thanks, Kelly. I hope you've been enjoying this podcast. If you like what you hear, Please share this show with your people and please make sure to rate and review it on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also head over to Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter to connect with me and stay updated on the show. If you're interested in sharing your story or if you have anything you would like to contribute, please submit it to my website at effieparks.com. Thank you so much for listening to the show and for supporting me along the way. I appreciate y'all so much. I don't know what kind of day you're having, but if you need a little pick-me-up, Ford's got you.